Ohio needs nurses now. Xavier University is offsetting the demand by offering individuals with non-nursing bachelor's degrees an accelerated path to the profession. With locations in Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Columbus, our ABSN program enables adult learners like you to earn a respected Bachelor of Science in Nursing in 16 months. So what are you waiting for? There's no better time than now to step up and become a nurse. Search Xavier ABSN to apply. That time you got home from a week of double shifts and your dog didn't recognize you. Let's go. Hey, hey, it's me. Hey, it's me. Do you want a treat? You want a treat? Oh. You knew it was time for something new. Let's job it up. At CareerBuilder, you can find jobs with the work-life balance and salary you want. Plus, build a resume and apply to multiple jobs in just one click. Start your search at CareerBuilder.com. Hey guys, this morning we're going to be starting a new series on the culture of the kingdom. The culture of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, kingdom come. And I want to ask you to take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Just going to read a few scriptures there. Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 1 and then verses 5 through 8 of Matthew chapter 10. I'll just put that on the screen. And this is an amazing passage of scripture where Jesus is actually commissioning the 12 apostles to go out and preach the gospel. So here we go, Matthew 10, starting at verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Then go down to verse number 5, verses 2 through 4, just say the names of the 12 apostles. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. Then what else does he say? Raise the dead, and then what? Cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Wow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for the truth of the gospel of the kingdom, Lord. You have a kingdom. You have a kingdom. Your kingdom is above all other kingdoms, and we give you the glory and honor today as we learn how to live in that kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for the benefits and the blessings that will be bestowed upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So you guys have probably heard of IQ, all right? Everybody knows what that is, your uh, intelligence quotient, your IQ. That's important. It's great to have smart people. But then we know there's also something else called your EQ, your emotional intelligence, right? Emotional intelligence probably is more important than plain intelligence because emotional intelligence is so necessary in terms of how we interact with people, how we get along with others on the job. It's very, very important, and we should be emotionally intelligent people, and God wants us to be emotionally intelligent. The Bible is clear about that. But then in recent years, there's been a new type of intelligence that has uh, been documented, and that's called cultural 
intelligence. And in the workplace in particular, uh, there's been a real push for people to really learn how to get along with people of diverse backgrounds, uh, different cultures, and so on. One of the, the greatest things about learning culture is the fact that when we do this, we bridge the gap often between you know, those things that typically would cause us to, to not be able to relate with people. And as I said, in the corporate world, to not be able to work together effectively. Do you know there are different things, peculiarities that cultures have? And uh, you know, Lynn and I have had the privilege to be able to travel to many, many places and uh, be exposed with different cultures. We've, gone, we've been in Asia quite a bit, and you know, I just want to highlight just a few things that Asians find very peculiar about Westerners, okay? You guys ready? First of all, Asians find sarcasm strange, okay? Like sarcasm, okay? It's like, oh, okay. Sometimes I don't know, sometimes they, they really have a hard time reading a Westerner. Is he serious? Is he not serious? So sarcasm. Another thing is protecting individual rights to an extreme. Protecting individual rights to an extreme. And then closely related is individualism. You know, in, in different cultures, let me give you an example. And particularly nations that have not been really uh, overly influenced by Western nations. There's something that they value more than individualism, and it's the contribution to the collective whole. So, for example, in Singapore, when you are a child in Singapore and you're growing up, guess what they do? They test you to find out what areas you're skilled at and uh, your, you know, your giftings, and they kind of point you in a few different directions. Your child could potentially do this. He could maybe be a doctor. He might be a scientist. He might be able to do this really well. And so they give you a few options, but then as the child continues to be educated with that in mind, there comes a point where they actually at times will make uh, a suggestion, and it's more than that, where they'll say, you know, hey, I want to be a doctor. Like the parents say, I want my child to be a doctor. And then they will actually say, you know what? Right now, we don't need any more doctors in Singapore. We're good. So we need you to focus on becoming something else because they value the contribution to the collective society more than the individual's rights. For us, that is like, whoa, that is control. Nobody's going to tell me what I can do. I got a dream. I got something in my heart that I want to fulfill. And I know it's God. And nobody's going to tell me I'm not going to do that. You see, guys, that's an interesting thing. That's something that Westerners really struggle with. Another thing that Westerners struggle with is arranged marriages. Okay? Like, what do you mean arranged marriage? When they're children, the parents get together and say, you're going to marry this person? Yeah. It still happens in many cultures today. And Westerners, we have a hard time with that. But you know, as I said, there's not only uh, those things that we have a hard time with, they have a hard time with as well. And you know, one of the other things is valuing physique more than intelligence, okay? So the, the whole emphasis on 
wow, we need to look good, we need to be attractive, we need to be thin, we need to work out, and all this stuff, in Western culture, in many instances, has become such a priority. Just watch television, right? Just go on Facebook or whatever, and all the ads that pop up about you need to, you need to get in the gym, you need to go on this diet, you need to do this, you need to do all these things, and there's such a plethora, such an abundance of emphasis on that, whereas in many Asian cultures, the focus is on, on your education, the focus is on your intelligence, and it's not so much the importance of how you look physically. Does that make sense? Another thing that Asians find peculiar about Western culture, particularly the American culture, is drinking ice water year-round. <laughs> drinking ice water year-round. <laughs> like even when it's cold, yes, we drink ice water. Now that's really different, isn't it? Now, I remember Lynn and I, one of the experiences we had when we first went to the Philippines, it was a, an interesting thing for us. And Lynn's just going to come up and she's just going to help me demonstrate, so she's going to stand over here. By the way, in the Philippines, guess what they call her? First of all, you're not a pastor, you're a pastora, right? Okay? So she's Pastora Barbie in the Philippines, okay? That's, that's what some of our, our, our pastors there, yeah, the, the blonde hair or whatever. So here's, here's the situation, okay? This is what you would encounter if you're speaking with a Filipino lady, you're a Westerner, you've come, and, you know, you're at a conference or you're at a church and you're like, hey, can you please tell me who the pastor is? Would you please just point to, to me who the pastor is? <laughs> what? Can you? What? What? Okay. Now I'm saying, is that the pastor over there? Is that the pastor? Okay. What is she doing? She's pointing with her lips. Why is she pointing with her lips? Because in the Filipino culture, it's rude to point with your finger in many places. So what you do is you point with your lips. In fact, in some places, in more remote areas in the Philippines, if I were to point to someone, and particularly if I didn't know that person, I had no relationship with that person, that person might think that I am confronting them or potentially that I am trying to actually want, I, I want to pick a fight with them just by pointing to them. Wow, isn't that something? So guys, if you're ever around Filipinos and, and you know, you mean sure, you do that. Okay. <laughs> Stick your lips way out. You got to get it up. And you just point the direction, okay? All right, so that's the way it works. Now, listen. In our world, we have many, many different cultures. We have, you know, North, we have Western culture, Eastern culture, Middle Eastern culture. We have Asian culture. We have African cultures. We have so many different general cultures, but then there's so many unique subcultures, isn't there? There's not only when we say, well, there's Indian culture, there's, there's African culture. There's all these different cultures, even uh, sub, subcultures within these nations. And the interesting thing is when you read the Bible, there is never, ever a reference to race. There's never a reference to race. We talk about this race, that race. In the Bible, the only reference to race is the human race. 
But the Bible speaks of ethnic groups. In Matthew 24, verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness throughout the world to all the nations, nations, ta ethne in Greek, which means the ethnic groups, and then the end will come. There are many ethnic groups. On, on uh, Wednesday, we saw that there's over 16,000 different ethnic groups in the world right now. There are many different ethnic groups. So the Bible speaks about the ethnic groups. And then even among some of the ethnic groups, there's different culture. It's very, very interesting. But the amazing thing is when we come into the kingdom, when we are born again by the Spirit of God, we become a new nation. That's what the Bible teaches. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it talks about how God has chosen us, as a peculiar people, it literally means a special treasured people, and that we are his prized possession, that we are a royal priesthood, and that we are a holy nation, is what it says. It doesn't say that we are, certainly we still have our ethnicity, we retain that, but ultimately we become one nation. It's a holy nation, a set-apart nation, a people that have been set apart to do God's work to live for his purposes. We become a holy nation. And because we are now a new nation, what ends up happening is we have to learn the culture of the kingdom. And so when Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission, what he is actually doing is telling us that we, because of all authority that has been given to him on heaven and earth, that we are to go forth and we are to literally make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you go to these nations, to these different ethnic groups. And I mentioned that in the United States, there are hundreds of unreached people groups here already, right now, in the United States. And because of that, we have a call, we have a responsibility, like these early apostles do, and that is to teach people, but not only to teach others the ways of the kingdom, but for we ourselves to learn the ways of the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom. Because all too often, it's true, I, I, I'm big into this, I love studying, you know, uh, missiology, but let me just say this, that all too often what we're trying to do is impose a Western cultural thing upon people rather than a kingdom culture thing. And the truth of the kingdom of God is that there is one culture. It doesn't, you know, cause us to have to give up our cultural uh, peculiarities, but it does override and it does supersede all of the things of this world. Because I can tell you about every culture, there's good things and there are things that aren't so good. And we can learn from every culture, that's for sure. But ultimately, there is a culture in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus actually commissions his disciples in Matthew 10, Verse 7, to go out, he sends them out. And the word send out is apostelos, and we get our word apostle from that. He sends them out, and he tells them to go, and the thing that they're supposed to do is to proclaim or preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. 
It literally means the kingdom of heaven is near. And in Matthew's account, he uses kingdom of heaven because for the Jews, they never really would use the name God, whereas in Luke's account and Mark's account, it uses the kingdom of God. So he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. In fact, remember when Jesus was speaking of the one who would betray him, Judas. He said, my betrayer is at hand. And what did he mean? He's using the same language, and he's saying, my betrayer is here. So as you go, you preach, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. So you go into a city, you go into a nation, and we are to proclaim that the kingdom is here. That's profound, guys, because when he talks about preaching the kingdom, and when he speaks about making disciples of the nations, it implies much more than a mere persuasion of people to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who would take away the sins of the world. For you see, it's called the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is not just an invitation to receive salvation, but it's a summons to enter into and to learn how to live in a kingdom. That's completely different. It's not just, hey, I put up my hand, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Can I just say it? That's a very Western thing. And the truth is, when you read the gospel much more closely, Jesus called people, called people to follow him and to come into a relationship. He didn't say, put up your hand, say this nice little prayer, check this box, you're good. He didn't do that. He said, come and follow me. If you continue in my word, you are my disciples. If you continue, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So it's take up your cross, follow me, be my disciple. It's not just this easy believism, this whole thing like, I've got fire insurance, I'm good now. Guys, it's a lifestyle of following Jesus Christ. I've said this before. In Acts 1.8, you will receive power to become witnesses unto me, Jesus said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the earth. The word witness in the New Testament language means martyrs. You will receive power to become martyrs. Why do you want to become a martyr? Who wants to sign up to be a martyr? Well, guess what? 11 out of the 12 apostles were martyred. They tried to kill John. They boiled him in oil, but he walked out unscathed, so they didn't know what to do with him, so they put him on, and they, they banished him on an island called Patmos, and there he had revelations and encounters with God and wrote the book of Revelation. But you see, there's a place where God says, you need to learn. This isn't about you. You see, becoming a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, isn't about an upgrade in your lifestyle. It's about taking up your cross and following him. And he promises that if we take up our cross and follow him, that if we forsake, even he says, family, friends, all these things, he said that we will experience in this life 100-fold and in the life to come, eternal life. In the age to come, eternal life. But the reality is, guys, this is about taking up our cross and following him. And we can say, well, that kind of preaching empties churches. That kind of preaching changes the world. Because God can do more with 100 people on fire than he can do with 3,000 people that aren't taking up their cross and aren't following him and aren't being bold witnesses of Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't building a fan club, right? It was about come and follow me, right? 
Matthew 6, verse 66. I'm, I'm sorry, John 6, verse 66. Very interesting, John 6, 6, 6. It says that many were offended and walked away. And what did Jesus do? Did he say, hey, y'all, I was just kidding. Come on back. He looked at the remaining 12 and he said, so do you all want to leave too? That's what he said, paraphrased. Do you all want to leave too? Peter looked at him and said, Lord, where are we going to go? Where, what are we going to do? You alone have the words of eternal life. This is about following you. This is about the calls and to, to a life of discipleship taking up our cross, following Jesus, denying ourselves, dying to self, dying to sin, dying to our carnal ways so that we can live out the will of God here in this life. So Jesus says, go make disciples of the nations. You are my apostles. I send you out to preach the kingdom. Apostle, apostolos, sent ones. It's a very interesting term. The word apostle, when you begin to examine it and, and you look at it in its historical context, it was not a Greek word that was used initially or originally to designate the followers of Jesus. The word actually found its meaning or its full significance at least in the culture of the Roman Empire at that time. In that culture, an apostle was a person similar to an ambassador sent by the emperor to do two things. Number one, represent, and number two, cultivate the culture of the Roman Empire within a newly conquered territory. That's what an apostle was. So they would conquer a territory. They'd move in and they'd take it. And then what they would do is they would send in a, an apostle and this apostle represented that particular kingdom, the, the Caesar and, and the, the Roman Empire. And he would go in and he would bring in a team of educators, a team of philosophers, a, a team of, of, of uh, artists and, and other people that would help shape the culture, you know, builders and so on, that would shape the culture so that these places would be retained and learn the culture of the Roman Empire. That's what an apostle was. And that's what that word meant originally. The apostle was endued with great authority, but he was also under authority. And this apostle would go into a conquered territory, and the people at that time would realize that he had come to reshape the culture and bring people into alignment with the values and practices of that conquering kingdom. It's an interesting thing. Jesus says, I want you to go in Matthew 10, verse 7, and I want you to preach. The word preach means a herald. And it was used of someone who would proclaim often that even a king, the king was coming. Remember, and it talks about making the, the crooked ways straight, the rough places smooth, and, and preparing the way for the Lord. That's uh, actually an allusion to a practice where if a king was going to visit a city or a town, they would prepare for the visitation of the king. They would literally build a highway so that the king could come in unimpeded and travel down that highway. It was an amazing practice. 
There's places in North America that have done that. We've, we know of a place in, in Quebec, in Canada, is called Trois-Rivières, which means three rivers. And in that place, there's actually a highway. They call it the King's Highway that was built so that King Louis could come and visit. They built it just for him. And the idea is that we are to prepare the way for the king. Now, somebody says, well, isn't this something, you know, because today we have a lot of people that are resistant to this message, even Christians that say, you know what, we shouldn't be going to other nations, we shouldn't be proclaiming the gospel, because we don't want to change their culture, we don't want to impose our religious beliefs on them, but the Bible is clear, this is exactly what we're called to do, because it's not our culture, it's not our beliefs, it's the message of life, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the only thing that can change them and transform their lives, and Jesus wasn't a white man, he wasn't a black man, he wasn't an American, he wasn't an Indian, he wasn't whatever. He was the king of, uh, of uh, sent from heaven to be the king of all the nations. I'm trying. One day I will preach. I'll really preach. All right. So what happens? A kingdom, think about this, consists of the following three elements, okay? First of all, just think about the etymology of the word kingdom. Kingdom, in English, comes from two words, king and dominion, or king and domain. So in a kingdom, you have these three elements. Number one, you have a king. In the kingdom of heaven, or in the kingdom of God, who is the king? Jesus, right? Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. All right, then you have a domain. What is the domain? Well, the Bible says when we are born again, we can experience or enter the kingdom, which means the domain of the king. In Colossians, it says that when we became born again, Jesus, through his death, translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's son. So we move from one kingdom the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of God's son. So we are now in the domain of the king. Okay. But the third point is very important. The third point is living under the dominion of the king. What does that mean? It means in order to experience the benefits of the kingdom, you must learn how to live under the dominion or of the, the authority of the king. That's what he is saying. So Jesus says, I want you to go, and I want you to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is he saying? When you go to a city, when you go to a nation, you go and you proclaim the kingdom is here. That God's will should be done here. That this place would become his space on earth as it is in heaven, as above so beneath that we would experience that culture, so to speak, of heaven. And I recognize that not everything is going to be fulfilled in this lifetime. The fullness or the completion of the kingdom will not be experienced until Jesus returns. But Jesus did say in the next verse, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cleanse the lepers. I want you to cast out demons. What was he saying? He's saying, as freely as you've received, I want you to give. 
I want you to bring change to this earth because in the kingdom of heaven, there's freedom. In the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says in Romans chapter 14, the kingdom of heaven isn't about food and drink, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom is a a place of righteousness, a place of peace, and a place of joy in the kingdom, in, uh, in the Holy Spirit, sorry. So the idea here is that God's kingdom would become a reality in this life. And so you go into an area and you announce the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. God has come to deliver you. God has come to change you. He's come to make your life better, to give you freedom. At the end of World War II, one of the final things that happened was the liberation of the Philippines from the Japanese. It was a terrible thing. We have four churches in a place called Palawan in Puerto Princesa. In that very place is where many of American soldiers that were in a, were in a, a prisoner of war camp were killed. They burned them up. They put them in a pit and they just threw kerosene on them or something and burned them up before the Americans came to destroy the Japanese. It's a terrible place. You can go there. You can read about it. You can actually go to the area. But you see, ultimately, when the Americans came to liberate the Filipinos, what do you think? Were they sad or were they happy? They were happy. They were elated that they had come to deliver them from their oppressors. And so when you go to the Philippines today, it's the most Americanized place in Asia. They love basketball. They love Americans. They love to a certain degree, American food. And it's a different place than, say, going to Malaysia or Japan or anywhere else. It's very different because of what? That culture has still having, is still having an impact. And the thing about it is, when we talk about the culture of the kingdom, what we're dealing with here is a message called the good news or the gospel of the kingdom. It's good news. And what is the good news? That you've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. That you are oppressed. That you are imprisoned. That you have been beaten and bruised. But the king has come. The spirit of the Lord is upon him and has anointed him to bring freedom. To bring liberty. To open blind eyes. To set the captives free. To release people from prison. So they can come into the kingdom and know the glorious freedom. And the benefits and the blessings of living in this new kingdom. That's the message we have. We can look at people and we can say, he's come to set you free. He's come to forgive you. He's come to heal you. He's come to transform you. He's come to give you hope and a future. He's come to teach you his ways. Because when you follow the ways of the Lord, you'll be blessed. So when you live in the kingdom, you have to learn the culture of the kingdom. You have to understand the ways of the kingdom to experience that dominion, that authority, the blessings, the benefits of living in that kingdom. So we go back to Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. And here we read that there are three specific things Jesus said people will experience when they come into the kingdom. And there are three specific things that we're really called to do when we speak about extending the kingdom, preaching the kingdom. Number one, 
You're to go, and when he says go, he means extend the borders of the kingdom. God's kingdom is here. That's good news. He's come to liberate. Secondly, he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is he speaking of? He's saying a good king, when he extends the borders of his kingdom, a good king doesn't come to oppress the people, but to enact justice for the people. Enact justice for the subjects, in other words. So what he's saying is, as you pledge your allegiance to Jesus, so to speak, what will happen is you will experience all of the full, fullness of the benefits of this kingdom. The Bible says baptism is symbolic of that. Why do I say baptism is symbolic of that? Because Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says that when we are baptized, by the way, we have a baptism service coming up. If you've never been baptized, I really encourage you to sign up first Sunday in September. No, second Sunday, September 8th. But the point is this, why do we need baptism? He says, because when you're baptized, it speaks of newness of life. You identify with Christ's death, and you're raised into what it says, newness of life. In the Greek language, there are two words for new. The word that is used here is kahinos, and kahinos speaks of something unseen, something unprecedented, not, you know, putting a new coat of paint on something. Not polishing it to make it look nice, but something completely new is what the meaning of the word is. God just doesn't make our life better. He doesn't just improve our life. He gives us a new life is what the Bible says. We have a whole new life when we come to Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's why people that say, well, you know, if you're always been an addict, you'll never, ever be free because, you know what, once an addict, always an addict. People who think that way or talk that way, they don't understand that God gives you a new nature. God changes you. He puts a new heart and a new spirit in you. He gives you a new nature so that you can walk in total freedom. You can live in victory. So baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit speaks of enacting Justice, baptism is the entryway into the fullness of the life of the kingdom. Uh, people say, well, does it save you? No, I'm not saying it saves you. It, it's, it's an outward expression of what should happen, does happen to a true person when they're born again. But ultimately, when you experience the kingdom, what takes place when you're baptized is you experience newness of life. God will give you a new life. He'll make things new. He'll bless you. He'll, he'll cause you to experience justice in your situation and circumstance. Thirdly, and I'll close with this. Uh, worship team would come, please. The third thing is, he says, teach them everything that I've commanded you. The past three years, you've been with me, Jesus says to his apostles, and I've taught you, I've instructed you in many things. Now your job is to continue what I taught you to teach others. So what does that mean? It means to educate them regarding their rights and responsibilities in being a kingdom citizen. Educate them regarding their rights and their responsibilities in being a kingdom citizen. What are your rights as a kingdom citizen? You know you have rights? 
Guess what? You have rights. If you're a citizen of the United States, you have rights, don't you? Right? In the kingdom of God, you have rights. You have the right to be free. You have the right to know, walk in righteousness. You have the right to have a sound mind. You have the right to have joy and peace. You have the right to be forgiven. You have the right to experience healing in your life. Whatever area you need it, you have the right because Jesus paid the price on the cross. You have the right, but you also have responsibilities. Come on now. You have responsibilities. I want my rights, but you're not doing your part in being responsible. The reason you're not necessarily experiencing the fullness of what God has promised you as his son, his daughter, is because you're not walking in your kingdom responsibility. There's things he wants you to do. It's in the word. It's up to you. It's up to me to search out those things. As we hear the word of God come forth, as we read the Bible, as we get alone with God and sometimes he speaks to us, we need to make sure that we're not just hearers, but doers of the word. I want God to bless me. I want God to do this, but we're not doing our part. I've said this many times. For every promise, there's a process. We want the promise without the process. But God says there's a process. If you want to experience the promise, you have to engage in the process. So God wants us to learn the ways of his kingdom. Culture is a word for way of life. Culture is the characteristics and knowledge of a particular group of people that encompasses their language. How we speak, guys. Do we speak life? Or do we speak death? Because the Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. Do we speak life? What do we speak? Do worship. It's their worship or their religious expressions. How do we worship God? Are we true worshipers of God? It's their social habits. Do we love people? It's what they believe about what is right or wrong. Well, we don't go by the world's culture. We go by the word of God. But are we embracing the truth? regarding kingdom morals how we interact with people how we behave and much more these are things that characterize and distinguish a culture in the kingdom of God there is a culture there is a culture as we proclaim go preach the kingdom bring that then what do we do people are baptized people experience this newness of life in Christ as they call on his name as they believe in him they consummate it with baptism and then out of that, we teach them, we disciple them in the ways of the kingdom. Many people have come into the kingdom, but they've not learned the culture of the kingdom. And until you master the culture of the kingdom, until you learn how to live in submission to the dominion of the king, you will not experience all of the benefits and blessings of the king. But once you do, even as you start to do it, as, as maybe a new believer, you just start to do it. Lord, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to do what you said in your word. You're going to see God's going to, he's going to bless you. He's going to fulfill his word in your life. He's going to make sure that his promise comes to pass if you and I learn how to live in that place of walking and living in the culture of the kingdom. Amen. Now extended through January 14th, join a clean and spacious Planet Fitness for zero enrollment and only $10 a month. With tons of equipment and free fitness training, it's the perfect place for everybody to work out. Even me, mister, I'm so stressed I grind my teeth more than most people grind coffee. Especially you. Give your anxiety-clenched jaw a rest. My molars will be so happy. 
Start feeling spectacular today. Join in club or at planetfitness.com. Zero enrollment, $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends January 14th. See club for details.